Hello out there. This is Edgar Papke. And this is Ken Sagendorf. Good morning. To, welcome to the True Alignment Podcast. We're live this morning from the Innovation Incubator in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. Good morning, Edgar. Good morning, and we're joined, as always, by Jim Newhaffen. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Doing well, guys. Good morning. Thanks, for uh, everybody, for being here. Yeah. I think we're going to jump right in here this morning. Um, before we do questions, thoughts, comments, uh, anything at all are welcome. You can email us at... Uh, Info at uh, truealignment.com. Uh, you can feel free, Jim. What, what Facebook or? Um, yeah, the best way to look out for us is uh, one, through our website, truealignment.com. And then obviously if you have any questions, like Edgar says, uh, info at truealignment is the best way to reach out to us. Great. Thanks. And all questions, thoughts, comments, as always, are welcome. Yeah. So we're going to jump right in here this morning because there's a lot going on out there in the world. And a lot of it is a lot of it is it's concerning yeah we come off edgar we come off a weekend i i you know quick story i will share with you i have a a good uh, i mean a, just a a lifelong friend of mine is an fbi agent mm. and he uh he sent our our group of of friends a, a text message last night with a piece that was on the local fox news channel of the FBI and the local police searching the home of the gunman in the Buffalo, New York shooting. Mm-hmm. And he's in that picture. He's in that picture because he was sent there to to conduct the search of the house. And, you know, we, it's, it's hard. Uh, Doug is a former Marine and um, we, you know, thank you for your service never goes far enough, never goes far enough. And, and as we sent this, you know, we just said, Hey, you know, thanks, thanks for being there. Thanks for trying to discover, you know, what is, what is really, uh, behind this. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we wake up to a morning of, of, of a lot of platitudes about, you know, whether we should control gun ownership. We, we talk about, you know, the responsibility of social media companies to be tracking hate speech and what their responsibilities are to the American public. Um, but you know that w- that was the that was the main news headline because of the the number of deaths in that shooting, and and so um, so apparently racially motivated. But two other shootings over the weekend, right? And and you know this is the title. This is why we this is why we chose the title of today's podcast because there's something going on. I mean, this is. There's an easy way to get numb to all of this. I mean, we're here in Colorado where we are site of so many major, the Columbine High School shooting, um, the Aurora Movie Theater shooting, the uh, Boulder King Super shooting. Right. I mean, we, we are in a place where we are, um, it's easy, I think, to get numb to this because it's so commonplace. But really, I think the conversation that I came in um, with today asking some questions about is, you know, what is it? What is it about the world? How do you get to a place where you have such strong feelings towards a person, an entire race? Um, I I just don't understand. Yeah, and it's easy to just put it in and categorize it as being just a part of human nature. Uh, you know, humankind throughout throughout our history, we seems that the biggest struggle that we have is understanding uh, 
the deep seated um, source of you know what hate is really all about um, and anger and to have hate and anger and at that level we we talk about this in the standpoint of where we talk about conversations about alignment in organizations and we talk about that conflicts or misalignments and we also say that those are opportunities to explore to better understand what the misalignment what the conflict is about inevitably what we wind up with and i and i'm hoping that this is not oversimplistic is that inevitably what we wind up is uh, talking about is is a fear of some kind mm-hmm. um, and, and that at the source of anger is fear and that fear is as we talk about internal conflicts and conflicts in relationships is there's a gap between what we're getting and what we want. And it's interesting because at times that what we want, I'm not sure if it's always moving forward. I think sometimes that what we want is holding on. You know, m- m- the fear of change, the fear of looking at ourselves in the mirror and deciding to be different than we were before, which I think requires at some level uh, the, um, um, the consciousness that there's something that I have to confront and let go of. And I think so much of this is a, is a broader and deeper dialogue about what what's happening, well, certainly humankind, and the need for conflict somehow naturally that's embedded in our psyche. And yet here we are at this moment, I think, in, in the history of humankind where we're becoming more and more aware and much more conscious of our own behavior and the sources of that behavior, you'd, you'd think, and, and, I, and I have hope for this, is that we're able to engage in a dialogue and really understand what's going on. And that's, that's not easy. It's a not lot of easy. Work, yeah. It's a lot of work, and it requires a lot of time and energy and requires more than anything else is people confronting and saying, okay, I'm willing to let go of one way of thinking and seeing things to be able to just open up and explore, just let alone just move into that space of exploration that we talk about. Edgar, I, I think I shared on the podcast last week with, with you and the audience that I was uh, working with a collection of CEOs and we were trying to figure out some remote work stuff uh, and how to manage that remote workforce. And we got, we got eventually to that idea that um, somebody's losing something. The need mm-hmm. to control is, is, comes from, a, from an area of loss. So when we think about these, you know, these tragedies, these shootings, this, this idea of loss, I, I mean, I'm, my mind's going crazy here because I, you know, I wonder early on when I started this innovation center, you know, I'm funded by the, um, by donors and by uh, the John J. Sullivan, uh, mm-hmm. I'm the John J. Sullivan Endowed Chair for Free Enterprise, and some of my supporters who are um, very successful and and now many of them retired businessmen and and women, um, who are really pro capitalism. Mm-hmm. And our first speaker we had out was Father Robert Chirico. Um He's he's one of the founders of the Acton Institute. Uh, a uh, conservative Catholic think tank. Um, and, and really, I've stepped into the void a couple times on, on a lot of these things, right? I mean, here we are at this Jesuit university, which if you put, if you put things in context, um, the Jesuits are the uber-liberals of the Catholic 
faith. The envelope pushers. They they are. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they actually have been um, kicked out of the church and then welcomed back years later. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, they have they have quite that history, but they are they are a social justice. They stand for a lot of social justice things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I got a lot of you know how could we bring this um, conservative pro capitalism speaker to campus, and I remember this speak uh, this speech, and and it really was about how faith and capitalism belong together. But I particularly remembered this idea that it it's it isn't pie, we'll make more, mm-hmm. right? I mean. Some people have this assumption that 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 wealth is a limited a limited resource, yeah, and so um, you have to divvy up the limited resource. But to me, it seems like that relates to this conversation about these racially motivated, um, hate-inspired shootings that that the loss comes from. Things are being reshuffled and redivvied up, and I'm not getting the thing that I had before. Yeah, or that uh, someone else is going to have as much or more than I do. Um, I, I think it's it's important to put into context then the idea of what capitalism is is, and we go back to this idea that we're living in a global business society, and that capitalism is a is a really a, a, a systems thinking approach to what that looks like. So we live in a business society. Systemically, we have a capitalist system, which then um, you know models free enterprise and, and those pieces. It's so important then to realize what the consequences of you know, systems thinking, which we ask people here at at the. Uh, at the Anderson College to continuously be thinking about, you touch one part of the system, what is it? what happens in another part, and what are the ripple effects of the changes you create? And it's so interesting um, and powerful to understand that any time you, you touch it, the system somewhere, you're going to have a ripple effect, and that ripple effect is al- always comes back to human emotion, human desire and need. So this idea that as you reshuffle a deck and as change, as change happens, there is, in a way, there's a there's a longing, a very natural longing to try and hold on to or keep keep what I have or keep the predictability of what I have in place, and perhaps that's a piece of the uh, the piece of the puzzle that that uh, maybe we're not talking enough about. Not that there's not experts out there and people that are interested in it and are doing something with that. It's a matter of how much do we understand it at. Uh, uh, in a broader, from a broader perspective, and how we engage people in that conversation, what is it, what is it, and I, that's always a it's always a tough question, and the really powerful question is what's your great fear, and our work with coaching executives inevitably the conversation okay what's what's your great fear here, what's getting in the way what 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 really are you concerned about making a decision or taking some action. So a conversation about fear is not an easy conversation to have. Yet, when you take a look at all the indicators and where the, all the arrows go to, that that's really what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, and that that fear that you are 
you know, there's there's a bunch of words that come screaming uh, forward. This idea of nostalgia. Um, yep. You know, I know I'm dealing I'm dealing with it um, right here as we're trying to plan. You know what what the future looks like, and I, you know, Jim, you talked a little bit about this with with your with your former workplace. Is you know those of a. <laughs> And I, I think I've shared this with you before, Edgar. You know, when I was younger, I used to have to uh, lie about my age um, to fit in. It's weird. It's a weird thing. Um, but, you know, especially when I worked for the American military, um, respect comes with age because the, yeah. the longer you're around, the higher the rank you have. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I had to lie about being 40 and then lie about being 50. And then, you know, it was just um, – and luckily, you know, I have a face full of gray – gray beard hair and no hair on top of my head. So it's, it's, you know, people believe whatever age I tell them, frankly. Um, but it's some of that, some of that mix. And I, I'm, I'm facing this right now where I have some people that have been here for 30 and 40 years and they're really pining for it to be like it once was. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right about the nostalgia because the idea of nostalgia can um, manifest different forms of emotion. Uh, one is uh, nostalgia can make us feel good, make us feel warm, uh, connectivity to to each other and, and the way things are. And we, we find ourselves in this nostalgic community, right? So y- you see that part of it. And then there's also nostalgia, and we see this happening right now in the political uh, world, is nostalgia is being used as a way of... of of really of convincing people to want to hang on to something or to uh, not want to change to occur. And so nostalgia can also um, be manifested as a, as not just a, a fear. It can also then be projected into the world in a way that evokes anger and that, that fear works that way. So I think this idea of nostalgia is often overlooked that we don't pay enough attention to it or because it's not just nostalgia feels good. Like I'm listening to music from years ago and, and we see that uh, generationally, we have such a, uh, a span of generations in our lives right now that we've never had before. And so the effect of nostalgia can, of course, bring people and create understanding if we're able to look at it through that lens. But more so, I think that the hazard here is, is that nostalgia can evoke a sense of not wanting change or hearkening back or uh, looking at one another in, through generations as us versus them. Yeah. The us versus them, I also think there is a place for people equate nostalgia with simplicity. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think, you know, our lives are more more complex than they've ever been. I mean, we are humans, and especially the American version of humans, are um, a wonderful study in chaos theory, right? I mean, the, the complexity that is coming each and every day and building and building and building. And I... You know, when we talk to business leaders, I think this is one of those things is there's there's an increasing amount of complexity for for a business leader. Yeah. And you can pick one thing, you can pick one part of the system and be really good at that. What you have to know when you do that is that you're gonna ignore another part of the system. Yeah, I think that in of itself and, and perhaps this is where this conversation goes then when you begin to uh when you begin to look at um What's happening and, and what's happening societally uh, is that we're not all seeing it as a whole. 
And I think one of the problems with that is, is if you're not looking at it as a system and you don't see the connectivity and the holistic way of see, of looking at it, um, then I think it's easier easier to find one piece of it and just work that one piece. And if you start getting uh, some success in that one, uh, and something else then gets disrupted around it. There's there again. That's the uneasiness. Then it's changed. Then it feels uncomfortable. It's not as predictable. And this whole idea of and the, the nostalgia of itself coming back to this idea is that that gives us a simple way of of, of speaking to it, managing it, as well as using it in different ways. So. As we often say, the art of complexity lies in simplicity. You find something simple and you turn the crank on that. But <laughs> as you turn the crank on that, you're actually affecting the entire system, the ripple effect, call it what you want. You're putting different gears into motion. And um, because we like things simple, we, we have the tendency, let me just focus on this. Well, here's the real problem with that. And, then, and this is maybe what's in the water is what we're talking about here, is that some, somewhere along the line, I believe that we're in a place in time where we have to improve how we dialogue, how we listen to one another. And I know that everybody out there is hearing this from a lot of different sources. And I believe it's because it's so true. We're at a place in time where we really have to get much, much better at not speaking our words, rather listening to the words of others. If we're going to have a really, if we're going to have a real dialogue about what's going on, it's going to require us first to to listen, you know, your your uh, fr- your old friend in the FBI is now looking for answers, and if we're more apt and able to listen to one another, we might get ahead of that and better understand one another. So we're not looking for answers; the answers are coming to us in the dialogues and the conversations that we're having. And it's not just about projecting my point of view; it's really about the the listening and and being able to open up. And uh, you know, this is the idea of fearless exploration. I have to be aware of what my own fears are so I can, with some sense of vulnerability and desire and want to really listen to you and who you are. And, and that seem, as far as I can tell, that's the big gap. That's the misalignment that we're, that we're working with here is that there, we don't have a context that allows for that to happen. And, and we keep looking to leaders for that. And yet they're playing, they're, they're actually heightening the game. You know, you, you see it happening over and over. And those leaders that are representing greater forms of dialogue and understanding, in a way, they're uh, the loudspeaker for those that are creating the conflict seems to continuously get more attention than those that are, that are not. Or we can criticize those that are seeking the understanding because we, we get so dug in. Uh, you know, Edgar, I've always I've always struggled personally with the idea of um, you know what are your commitments, and you hold on to those commitments forever, right? I mean, we are <laughs> it's a, it's a really interesting time here. I mean, not only with these kind of um, you know racially motivated shootings across the country, but also the um, you know, the immigration issue, of course, the Roe v. Wade uh, conversation that has, you know, um, picked back up here again. Um, there are so many things that keep coming rapidly. And, and you know, I don't, 
I've always tr- struggled with this idea that I've, I've committed to something which sounds like, and I am unwilling to accept any more information that is different, that doesn't confirm my already preset biases. <laughs> yeah, the confirmations. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is the, you know, those of us that try and get news from multiple different angles so that we can form our own opinion about what's really going on, um, which, you know, once upon a time was really kind of why we invented colleges, right, to, to develop the citizenry in, in the U.S., by the way. I mean, 500 mm-hmm. years ago. I mean, we, we 500, not 500. Um, yeah, know, with the idea that, that, that the core of, of a great society is education and knowledge and the, the yeah. ability to use the knowledge. Yeah, we borrowed that system from, from the European system, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we brought it here to the U.S., but it was, I mean, there, there's still a pretty gross argument going on whether – education, higher education's purpose is to get you a job, um, whether it is to develop the citizenry, um, right? I mean, um, we've, we've lost, this argument is, is weird, right? And, and, and you said something earlier, right? The us versus them, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is the idea that the role of a university isn't really to get people jobs. Sorry, listeners. Um, right. Community colleges and trade schools, that's their job to get you a job. I mean, that they're, they're training you to get a job. University is actually training you to do something differently. It's training you to see a larger picture. It's training you to bring in um, pieces of information. And I think we all, we struggle at the university levels with this um, because we're, um, we have market forces and, and we, and we'll bend and move based on market, some market forces. Um, but I think we're really struggling with this in higher education I know businesses really struggle with this too, um, right? You become a leader of a company. You're successful today. Conditions tomorrow are going to change. Yeah. And I think the buttons that you can, the levers you can pull on, the way that you can do things as a leader today might not be the things your business needs tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so when, when, uh, Looking at it through that, I um, I, so I evoke a little bit of Socrates and a little bit of Plato in this all, which goes back to where the education process probably started years. You know, you go all the way back to Greek society, and you, yeah, of course, and you see this, and then uh, in Europe, uh, especially in the eight, mid eighteen hundreds, you start seeing this school of psychology and adult learning, and all of this really, really coming again. A re- quick reminder here is that. We've been at this for just you know you got you got to figure about a century and a half that we're really in the span of humankind thinking at the level that we are. So I think that's important. But I think you're you're you hit it right on the nail head because we have the information around us. Uh, so we take that information and then we convert it to knowledge. We organize it. We make sense of that information into some usable knowledge. Well, here comes the next step which is how do we move from knowledge to wisdom? And then here, here comes Socrates with definition of wisdom is understanding what I don't know. So as we develop and we develop leaders and as here at the college, we, we look at it through that lens. What we're really doing is, is, is helping people to learn how to think and to be able to see that, that that knowledge allows us then to open the door to what don't we know and how can we use that knowledge at, 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 at greater levels and that's the realization that I need to I need to listen I need to learn I need to understand others I need to really understand what's happening 
and how other human beings are thinking and how they're feeling and how they're responding to the world around, around them, just like we all are. And unless we can have that dialogue, again, now I'm back to this, sorry for the soapbox, but if we can't improve our capability to dialogue, we're going to have a tough time getting there because dialogue is really listening to understand. It opens the door to hearing things that I don't yet know or that perhaps I think I know and I'm rejecting without understanding. Yeah, that listening with vulnerability. And, and it's funny there, Edgar, because you just explained. You, I, I think that would have, um, people would have puzzled over your last statement that the key to effective dialogue is to listen. Um, right? I mean, because I think we're in a, we're in a shouting society. I, I mean, I think social media adds to this, and I don't want to pay, play grumpy old man here, but, you know, I think, uh, people are You're not old enough to play that role yet, Ken. <laughs> That's my job. I say, like I say to my wife, it's not the age, it's the mileage, but it is. Uh, <laughs> you got a lot of miles on you. That one I can see. It's, it's this idea that, you know, I'm so busy telling the world who I am mm-hmm. oh. that it, that it really becomes very difficult um, to have that listening. You know, I am, I've shared this name on the podcast before, but Amy Edmondson, the Harvard uh, Business School professor who does a lot of work around psychological safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I follow her on LinkedIn, not only to see what she has to say, but to see what she shares from what other people say. Um, it's really kind of, I mean, she's she's a, a tremendous influencer right now in this psychological safety uh, place. But it is really interesting to see that she doesn't do all the content creation herself. She she borrows and pulls, and and one of the one of the leadership uh, things that she had shared from somebody, and I forgive me because I don't remember the primary source, but one of the things that she had shared is, you know, maybe we're wrapped around the axle on how much data we actually need as a leader, because the 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 calling people and asking, how's it going and and, and what would make your job easier, make your life easier? Those two questions will probably give you the keys to what you can do for your organization's success. Yeah, we hear that a lot. We hear, okay, here's what the engagement surveys is, is telling us, and this is what it looks like, and that's just one piece. And that the real, the real learning that they discover is when they actually sit down and talk to people, just like when we work with an executive team. We can do surveys, we can use questionnaires, we can collect narratives even. But you take that narrative and you start asking questions. It just begs more questioning. And so it's in the conversational context that we typically learn the most about what's happening in an organization, what's happening in leadership team. And that then you broaden that idea. And if we really want to understand what's happening societally, and we want to better understand what's happening and what... It's not singular... It's not saying it's just not singular enough to say that there's a shooter. It just it's systemic. There's an influence on that shooter. There's something going on around that person that evokes and and draws that draws that out of someone at that level. And yes, there's a context in this that says that there's mental illness. I can wholeheartedly agree with that. I can also. Um, take that a step further to say we need to even understand that at a deeper, more significant level and understand where those triggers are and understand where the influences are. And you said something uh, early on about, you know, the, the debate, and I don't know if we were on the air yet or not, uh, about the idea of, you know, you could easily, so easily make it about guns. Well, it's a 
it, it requires much more than that. It's what do guns represent and what are the definitions of freedom that we have? What is it that allows us to let go of our fears at different levels so that we can make better decisions as individuals and then as, as collectively in our communities and, of course, you know, across the country, across the world? Yeah, you know, there's the the way that we talk about solutions requires so much individual courage, right? And I, you know, we know the, I don't know what the corporate engagement numbers look like today, but, you know, the numbers were something along the lines of, you know, 40% of your workforce is engaged at your at your university, or not at your university, at your workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know that we've ever... Um, you know, in the, in the books, like uh, bowling alone and this idea that we have less and less kind of social things that we do together societally. I mean, I, I, I just wonder what, you know, public engagement numbers look like. But, you know, every time we want to have a solution, the solution is you have to have the courage to go somewhere to get it. I mean, this is how we treat addiction. If, you, if, you're, if you're addicted to something, you have to courage to get into rehab, right? Unless you get forced there. But you have to go somewhere different. Mm-hmm. It is really a courageous thing to go, to go into rehab if you're an addict. It is really a courageous thing if you say, I am feeling this way, I need to get mental health help. You have to go somewhere. You have to claim it. I guess my question is, how how could it be different that you know in order for us to change we just need a whopper amount of courageous individuals what what's the systemic approach what's what is the systemic approach i mean we keep we keep we keep drawing lines around these things that we think are important that are just pieces no one's really talking about the whole thing uh, because it's so complex well I'm going to take a lesson right out of the playbook of true alignment and the framework of, of that idea. And that the number one piece of feedback that comes back over and over is there's a framework for shared terminology and understanding. In other words, it gives us a framework for understanding. It gives us a, a common language. And I think just the idea of courage alone, a conversation about what is the definition of courage and the application of courage that there's an alignment opportunity here, that we align around the language, we align around the words, we, we align around the ideals and, and the ways of thinking. And if we can have that, those kinds of conversations and create alignment in, in, in how, we, um, how we use words, how we use language, the meaning of those words and language, so, so basic to our human endeavor this idea of having an alignment around the meaning of things so that we are able to align around the meaning of things, then what we can do is use that as a springboard to have a conversation about coming into alignment to what the challenges are and uh, where the problems are and begin to problem solve and design solutions at a much more significant level, a much more inclusive level. And not just depending on a few people to have courage, that we also have the courage to help one another, that we all have the courage to invite one another uh, through, uh, through, through listening, through creating dialogue, that we have that capability. And there's, there's, um, there's a great challenge in that, which is how do we scale that? 
how do we bring that to, to life and see it and recognize it not as a threat to the, to the parts of the system that currently exist, whether it's in media, in politics, in our communities, wherever it is, but rather that we see it as, as this is how we open the door, this is how we invite people, this is how we create those kinds of dialogues. And it's not just a courageous few. It's that we're all looking in that direction. We're all looking for that, for that alignment in ourselves to doing what we can do as, as human beings in our existence to one in, with one another. You know, so, 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 so messy, right. I, to get to that point. You bet. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, and, and, you know, I think the, um, the simplicity of wrapping it all up in a bow, like it's never going to be messy. And so here's, here's this week's movie reference. Um, I was wondering where this was going to yeah, come so from. Yeah. So I, this one took a long time. To get, I mean, it's not I'm, the monologue from Apocalypse, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, I um, we we're presenting, uh, we're presented uh, by Hollywood. You know, the either ors, yeah, uh, of the world, this or that, and you know, I think we're particularly struck when um, we get to see them side by side, mm-hmm. and so we get. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw the freebie of the Godfather in here, right? I mean, when Michael Corleone takes over the family in the original Godfather, he is at the baptism denouncing Satan at the same time where his family is killing the heads of the other families. So we see this contrast together right there. Um, and it's just presented so nicely, like so clean, right? I have plausible deniability and I actually have just conquered all the other families. But really, I think the movie that I want to bring up is the movie Green Book. Did you get to see this one? No. So, yeah, this is this is a good one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna forget the actors' names um, here, but it is the story of a of a, a black musician traveling in the South. Got it. I do. I did see it. And he hires a white driver, yeah, um, to take him through the South. And you know, the Green Book is uh, places that were safe for um, for blacks to stay in the South. Right. And, and it's presented as so nice and clean, right? Here you have these two races that come from different places. They spend enough time with each other, so they eventually learn to understand one another. Um, like there's magical transformation um, with the give and the take there. Right. Um, come sit down with my family. It doesn't work like that, Edgar. It's messy. You know, I, don't, I used to do this exercise with, with my students and, and one of the things that I would say to them is try and recall the first time you found out that someone you love thought some way that you just disagree with. Mm-hmm. That, that's a nice way to say it, right? I mean, I used to, you know, years ago I used to say, tell me the first time you found out somebody in your family was racist, right? And I, I remember this. It was my grandfather. And so, you know, I could hold these and your know, grandfather, Sicilian immigrant, in the time in the country where they are, um, you know, so many cultural biases, mm-hmm. right? We were throwing these immigrants through Ellis Island and they became the laboring force and the hated, they were taking over something that somebody else had before, um, right? Over and over and over. We do this over and over and over again. Yep. Doing, but, yeah, doing it again. But this idea that... Um, you know, do I love my grandfather? He's passed, and I, I love him deeply. I mean, he, there's other memories, too. 
but I remember that day that something came out of his mouth. And I was like, whoa, yeah. where did this come from? And, and why is it here? And, 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 you know, you can hold those things simultaneously. Um, but I think you have to hold them both with the same amount of awe and wonder and ask some questions about why they exist. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for messiness <laughs> and, uh, to be able to see it through that lens, to be able to sort it and say, yeah, and messiness, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Some of it, uh, let's look at it and try and rid ourselves of it. Uh, some of it is let's try and hold on to these pieces uh, in, that, in that array of thought, of idea, of biases. And there's, it's all of it, all of it has some value through the lens of looking at it. Um, and seeing it. And I think there's that awe and wonderment that comes with the curiosity of wanting to do that. So now we're talking about curiosity and, again, fearlessness to explore and what does that look like. And I can't really be curious until I first um, confront what I already know, what I already think, and um, at, at times confront my own fear to, to understand that when I'm curious, I'm, I might be heading down the path of finding something that surprises me or at times scares me. Mm-hmm. And some of the best lessons we learn in life are in the moments where we feel fear, acknowledge that fear, and then explore it. The, those are the moments that we really grow those are the moments that we that we truly come to life and find ourselves. Yeah. yeah. You know, we started this talking about these horrific shootings over the weekend. You know, I think we always want to say there's a there's a lone there's an isolated lone person that that snaps and that's mm-hmm. all that it is. Um you, know, you have to the world is increasingly lonely too more connected and more lonely. And I think this is the, this is one of those things. I mean, that courage is necessary for you individually on your own to be curious and go explore. I mean, that comes back again to that, you know, innate courage mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as opposed to systemic support for curiosity. Yeah. And and in all of this, there's a call to action for business. Most of our audience are tuning in because of business. Um, here's the call to action. If we're spending so much time with one another in business, if there's so much to explore and understand about one another, that the better we equip people, the better we can develop skills across our workforces through education, uh, through all the different um, opportunities we have to do that, if we can lean into that and do more of that in our businesses and then transfer that and see that then be elevated through our societies, again, through our communities, and, and uh, then what we can do is, is, is improve that capability. And so here we are once again. What does alignment look like in a business society? Uh, how does business then, uh, you know, whether we want to look at it through the lens of capitalism or any other systemic view, uh, we see that what the role of business is, is in elevating and bringing about a more, a more just, um, a uh, more peaceful, um, and uh, more understanding society. And what's 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 the role of business in that? It's uh, 
I would say it's 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 on right at the level of it's a mandatory requirement that we do that. Else, I think we're failing. Then we fail our entire society. Yeah, you know that conversation about the responsibility of business to do these kinds of things um, is elevated now more than it has been in a long, long time. It has. When it gets messy, that's when the opportunities are at their. I, I think at the at the greatest possibility. Ken, thank you, Edgar. Thank I had you serious can. conversation today. Thanks for bringing it back to to business and and the things we're here to talk about in a normal in a normal true alignment podcast. Normal, big air quotes there. <laughs> yeah, whatever that looks like. <laughs> yeah, and if you want to explore with us what that looks like, then you know. Uh, feel free to reach out to us as always questions thoughts comments send us your emails send us your thoughts um, we appreciate it greatly um, yeah so I'm Edgar Papke I'm Ken Sagendorf thanks for joining us on the True Alignment Podcast and we'll see you next time around thank you <laughs>